I'll try anything for you. It's the least I could do. Oh God, anything, anything but that. Oh God, anything, anything but that. Friends, family, fellow countrymen. Wow. Was that Shakespeare? Uh, it was. Shakespeare or, or Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> One of the two. I mean, are they the same? Conspiracy theory. Mm. Who, would he, who would he be today? Oh. If Shakespeare is just, if you're if he's a living being that's been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years. The literal first person that comes to mind is Ayn Rand, but that's not right. Oh, no. I was right. going to say Donald Trump because of QAnon. Gross. That's probably It probably fits in with that theory somewhere. Oh, Lord. You know, Let's they think that on. like Robert F. Kennedy is still alive. I got to go. My something. ride's here. Yeah, it's wild. Okay, sorry. Anyway. It's starting off hot. Well, we're recording this um, on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and I love you. I love you, too. And I also you love do? snow, and it's snowing outside. It snowed, and it's beautiful. It's like a beautiful, magical fantasy wonderland outside. Mm-hmm. We did take the dog for a really long walk. She loved it. She loved it. I I love looking at snow, and I like when it starts to snow and there are big chunks coming out of the sky. But like, beat the physical being ice cold in snow is not pleasurable to me. I know we talked about this earlier, and we're just gonna have to get you some long johns because they're they're just like little body heaters almost. They just keep you so warm. I mean, I hear that, but I also hate being cold. So like, I don't want the tips of my fingers to get cold. I don't want my mm. toes to get cold. I just don't like it. I'm like the girl who's going to go on a ski trip and never put skis on and sit and drink boozy hot chocolate in front of a fire. That's all I ask for, honestly. Just someone to go with me. And also, I mean, like, obviously have other people to do the skiing with. Yeah. But, like, I'll be there to hang by the fire. I'll bring my my Kindle. Yeah. Anyway, well, what are we talking about today? Based on our brutal decisions from last week. See, once again, I rather like mine, so... I know. We'll see. That might continue to be a theme because I, I like really good things. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today I'm going to start and I'm going to be talking about the multiverse theory. Yeah. There's a lot of science stuff here. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a science girl. Or am I? I might be now. I did include a lot of definitions and then deleted them because I realized that I didn't even know what the definitions meant. So Yeah. And I think it's a surefire way to put our audience to sleep as well. Uh, if I fall asleep, just wake me up. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, I think keeping it like a general, you know, overview. Not, I mean, I still have like three and a half pages, you so bear with me. Do the one thing I asked for. Did mm-hmm. I ask for it? You didn't ask me nothing, boo boo. Oh, well, if you don't have any conversation about Jet Li's the one, I'm going to be. Ruh-ro. <laughs> well, I do mention some <laughs> pop culture and I might just stick it in there and not whatever. You didn't ask me to watch the one. So how am I? All right. Well, I, I guess need to mention it. So we know what's for next pod. No, I don't. Re- I don't remember that movie. That was just, you know. Anyway. Was, okay. Well, here we go. Everybody, take a deep breath. Um, put on some relaxing. No, don't. Okay. The multiverse theory. It is a theory. That's all. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> it says it. Um, it says that there's a hypothetical group of multiple universes that often run parallel to each other on a similar timeline, or, or. it says the time is an illusion which I'm not Mm. opposed to. So together, all these universes comprise everything that exists, the entirety of space, time, matter, energy, information, and the physical laws and constants that describe them. 
Okay, I already fell asleep. No, I didn't. Okay. The different universes within the multiverse are often referred to as parallel universes, other universes, alternate universes, or many worlds. Hmm. Many worlds theory. Have you heard of it? Oh, I'll be telling you about it later. So, okay. The multiverse theory itself, it's been around for a really long time. And this actually surprised me a lot because even the ancient Greeks believed in multiple universes which was based in a practice in the practice of atomism or the ideology of atomism, which is when they realized that there were atoms, which I don't think scientifically was the same exact thing that we know them as now, but just yeah. small particles yeah. Yeah. and um, of which everything was made of. And they thought that uh, multiple universes were created every time atoms collide, which would be like a billion, gajillion, gajillion, trillion times. That's not a real number, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so even in 300 BCE, there were multiverse theories mentioned by the philosopher Chrysippus, who I'm going to now pretend you're named after Chrysippus. Okay, yeah. That's yeah, that's better. I, that's I better. Like that. Yeah. Chrysippus. The Middle Ages also defined the theory further than like in the 1950s. Our buddy Schrodinger mentioned the theory and that when he brought it up, he was like, this might seem lunatic, but dot, dot, dot. Uh, and it probably did. And it still does. Um, but the first time the theory was mentioned in fiction was in the 1960s by the unfortunately named science fiction writer Michael Moorcock. <sighs> Buddy. I wonder where he is now. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I didn't look up any of his writing or whatever. And maybe he's super famous in the sci-fi realm. I don't know. But anyway. Um, okay. So this theory, what makes it controversial or feel like, feel like a conspiracy or there's like a lot of question marks around it. Conspiracy? No, I said that word, but you know what? I've, I've had a lot of science words in my brain today. And so regular words aren't there. I would love it if it was a conspiracy because that would make for a really cool book. I mean, it kind of is right. Like, well, okay, we'll get into it. Um, okay. First, Physicists cannot agree as to whether or not there is sufficient evidence to prove the existence of multiple universes. Mm -hmm. I would venture to say that if there is not sufficient evidence, then yeah, it's not provable because evidence is proof. But people have gone to jail for a lot less. So Mm -hmm. at this point, one thinks of Copernicus, Galileo. My God. Your God? Well, you'll know. Don't worry about it. Okay. So here's what makes me mad. Some physicists don't believe that the multiverse is even a worthwhile topic of research. How about these nuts? Katie. Oh, sorry, everyone. I got really mad. I know. It was only episode two. So some physicists don't believe that the multiverse is even worthwhile. And I find that really rude because some people literally spend their life researching things like fecal matter and multiverses are not a viable topic. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Come on. Anyway, so these dinks believe that the multiverse theory is so far-fetched that it will degrade public opinion about science as cold, hard fact, what? and they aren't willing to go the distance to prove a theory that might up be- might end up being bogus. And okay. that doesn't feel very fun That's, and scientific to me. Yeah, like, what's the point of having science if it's not to explore things? That's what I'm talking about. But the idea, okay, I mean, I kind of get it because it's like, it's not possible to falsify the information, kind of like, you know, like Jesus or like religion. There's no way to disprove it so it can't actually be proven but like there's no way to like disprove god but that doesn't stop physicists from like trying to do that for hundreds of years i know you're telling me religion whatever so they can't yeah they don't want to try to prove it because they know they can't disprove it and that makes it like not science but or like prevents the scientific method from being accomplished which i don't know anyway so in terms of actual evidence surprise surprise 
there's not much. Mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking thinks it's a real thing. So he's like um, the smartest guy that ever lived, RIP. Um, I think he oh, might be onto yeah. something, you know, whatever that something is. There was a little bit of evidence presented in 2010 by scientist Stephen M. Feeney claiming that our universe collided with parallel universe in the past. But upon further examination, mm-hmm. no real evidence could be provided when looked at with a higher level satellite. So that was put to rest. Yeah, the great Mr. Feeney theorem. Oh, dang, Mr. Feeney. Mr. Feeney's all are all over our history, aren't they? <laughs> there are also, there's no real evidence that any gravity, gravity fields from other universes are pushing into ours currently or whenever this scientific research was presented. Within the last decade, there's been no gravitational pulls of other universes. So they think that would be a main evidential factor, evidentiary. I made that word mm-hmm. up, but it sounds right, doesn't it? Okay, sure. So whether it's a philosophical theory or a way to explain the parts of existence we can't explain, the multiverse is considered a metaphysical theory that can't really be tested or explained. Okay, we get that. Yeah. Okay, let's pretend for a second that it is totally real. Okay. Are we there? Let's all... mm, Okay. Swedish-American scientist and MIT professor Max Tegmark... And I don't know how to say his last name. And I looked up like a hundred videos and everyone Swedish, just so. introduces him as Max. <laughs> so I don't think anybody really knows. So I might be like Taymark or something like that. But I'm going to say Tegmark because I'm American. That, yeah. Okay. Whatever. I mean, like you've done your due diligence. I tried. Yeah. And his colleague, Brian Green of Cornell University. That one's easy. I know. Have devised a classification system for the multiple universes that may exist outside our own. So let's call our universe... Level zero. He calls it the observable universe. I'm gonna call it the real one. Seems kind of <laughs> seems kind of level zero. I mean, I mean, I'm calling it. No, I I made that up. So don't oh. make that make oh, fun of that part. Okay, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, so the first level is what he considers an extension of our own universe, based on the prediction of cosmic inflation. Now, my cat's name is Cosmo, and that's about as much as I understood out of this whole paragraph. Okay, yeah. So okay, and I did try to. Okay. I mean, it includes... Okay. So this section of my research includes words like ergodic. Did I even say ergodic? Er It's that word you said earlier today. Which I said earlier. And I looked it up and I still don't understand. So I'm going to try to do like a layman's term thing and explain it how I see it. So it might not even be right at all. Mm -hmm. But okay. Basically, the idea is that there's infinite space in the universe. And therefore, there can be an infinite number of universes just like ours. And the idea is based on this cosmological principle which says that on a large enough scale, the space around us is pretty equal to the space around anything else in the universe. So even though we might be talking like zooming out a trillion light years to look at this giant picture of this giant never-ending universe, if you pull back far enough away, there are lots of trillion light years wide spaces that look exactly the same as ours. Mm -hmm. Got me? Yeah. Good. That's all I got. Oh my God. I feel like I just had to... Where am I? Nana? (laughs) Grandma? Okay, back to it. The second level are different universes with different physical constants based on the prediction of eternal inflation. This one says that the universe just keeps on stretching out to forever rather than filling up a space, except some regions of space stop stretching and form distinct bubbles like gas pockets and a loaf of rising bread. And those bubbles are embryonic level one multiverses. Ah, I'm exhausted. That sounds so cool. Okay. In those bubbles, symmetry might break and different physical circumstances may arise. So it's kind of like ours, but different. Mm -hmm. Buck wild. Okay. In the third level, this is the one that I was like, oh, yeah, 
okay, I totally get this. It's the many worlds theory of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. I fucking knew you were going to make me look at quantum physics at some point. Probably not the first time. Oh, nuts. Well, no, this is the first time, not the last time. I know what you meant. (laughs) This is the most mainstream uh, view. I was going to say multi-view of the, okay. View of the multiverse theory, even though I still don't really understand what they're talking about. (laughs) So the way the internet describes this theory is that we can't predict everything that will happen. And therefore, there are a number of possibilities available as outcomes. In this theory, each of those outcomes is a viable universe unto itself. So for instance, they often an example brought up is like if you roll a six-sided die, then there are there is the possibility of the die landing where it lands. And mm-hmm. there's also the other mm-hmm. possibilities of the other five sides landing. And each of those turns into its own like butterfly effect style swerve to the left, swerve to the right. Yeah. Um it leads to yeah, other possibilities of other universes where each outcome comes out. Um, it's like, okay, the way that I thought about it in my head was like, okay, when I play video games, sometimes I'll die. A lot of times I die in the game. And sometimes I pretend that each time I die, it's like its own universe. Okay, so I was playing Lara Croft Tomb Raider recently. Okay. Um, the shadow of the Tomb Raider is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Laura Croft, she died. She went ahead to explore a, ca- explore a cave. Her friend is waiting for her at the entrance. And I died in the cave. Okay. And then I'll pretend like, oh, wouldn't that be really sad if that was the that was the outcome of that universe where then like her friend is just waiting for her to come out of the cave and she just never comes out. Whereas like I restarted that save point or whatever and I continue on and I get past that point. It's like a whole new universe and another person so you're kind of like doing like the whole like back to the future, like you travel back and then like you create a different timeline now that you've passed that point. Yeah. And it's a whole new universe. So like in one universe that exists, Lara Croft died in a cave and her friend is mourning her mm-hmm. at that point when he realizes she's dead. In another timeline, she made it past that, but she dies in like a shootout at the marketplace and then the world has to deal with her death at that point. And then another time she maybe like falls off a cliff and she's by herself and nobody realizes she's dead for like months and months. Yeah. That's what it is. That's a sad universe. Well, I know that was really, that's pretty morbid, but that's kind of how I, I know it's grim. That, But that was like, oh, I do that in my brain and that is how I'm going to make sense of this. So our pal Max writes, the only difference between level one and level three is where your doppelgangers reside. In level Mm. one, they live elsewhere in the good old three-dimensional space. Like I'm here and my doppelganger is in Germany or whatever. And in level three, they live on another quantum branch in the infinite dimensional Hilbert space, whoever that is. So that's like, I live here, but my doppelganger lives in a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yeah. She definitely does. And that bitch is wild. <laughs> well, I would hope she doesn't live in this universe. Well, you never know. So finally, in the fourth level, which is literally made up by Max himself, basically says that all universes are equally real, which can be described by different mathematical structures. If you want to know more about that, I suggest you Google it because math is where I stop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. No, I'm not. Um, so Brian Greene, so this is um, Max's colleague in all this multiverse mm-hmm. madness, yes. has his own tax- taxonomy structure. I'm going to blow through these really quickly because it's too much for me. The first is quilted. So this only works within an infinite universe, with an infinite amount of space. Every possible event will occur an infinite number of times. However, yeah. the speed of light prevents us from being aware of these other identical areas. I like half of that theory. The Cra- half I hate. Cr- crack my head wide open. Okay. I don't 
Okay. Inflationary. The inflationary multiverse is composed of various pockets in which inflation fields collapse and forms new universes, which is mm. kind of like on that eternal inflation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Brain. This is B-R-A-N-E multiverse. This is dumb. <laughs> this version postulates that our entire universe exists on a membrane which floats in a higher dimension or bulk. In this bulk, there are membranes with their own universes. They can interact with each other. When they collide, the violence and energy produced is more than enough to give rise to a Big Bang. Mm -hmm. I just... Yeah, that one just sounds like he it's just It's like got cyclical Big Bang idea. Yeah, it kind of sounds like he just got really baked in his mom's basement. Yeah, and... this one... I feel it. I sense that about him, yes. Uh okay cyclic so the cyclic multiverse has multiple brains that have collided causing big bangs and they just keep bouncing around like a ping pong scenario which is blah 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 clearly we're talking about like trillions of years consistently mm -hmm. just you know i think about all i think about really in my life in my day-to-day -day life is men in black and playing with marbles that are just different galaxies yeah and, or how that whole universe was on the cat's collar oh good god cool well uh, oh, how do we how do we continue on? Uh, you can slow down if you need to. I know I can see your you have like a little vein starting to pop out. I, <laughs> I just want to get through it. No. Um. <laughs> then there's landscape, and landscape multiverse relies on string theory. Mm, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and move past that one. Quantum. You got a new universe when a diversion in events occurs, like many worlds we talked about. Holographic multiverse is derived from the theory that the surface area of a space can encode the contents of the volume of the region. Okay. Gone. That one just went right out my head. I don't know what that is. Simulated multiverse exists on complex computer systems that simulate entire universes. Hmm. It's a little AI situation. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate multiverse contains every mathematically possible universe under different laws of physics. So I think in my head, I'm like, that one you just made up. Yeah. That's just shit you make up. I mean, most of this is just, you know, well, I could. Here's the thing, though. I can come up with a mathematical equation that makes no fucking sense, doesn't actually work. Can you though? No, Chris. <laughs> the answer is no. I can't because I don't even know how to spell mathematical. So okay. So then you got other stuff like string theory, wormholes, black holes. Yeah. All different kind of holes. All like the like the nice pop sci words that people yeah. love to just kind of mention that you like just see in dune and stuff like that yeah like, no those are literal wormholes actually can't wait for that movie to come out me too and um so i'm gonna save those for later because i feel like we could revisit that as like the pop size stuff mm -hmm. later sure. yeah um so as for the multiverse in pop culture clearly it loves to snuggle up with a nice cup of coffee and a good science fiction book huh? it's um <laughs> basically all of rick and morty was created around the concept of multiple universes God, the multiverse theory episode was the first one i ever saw and Ugh, it was so good it's so funny yeah. and i mean there's a million yeah oh i hate cartoons i don't hate car no i love you, anime i hate cartoons turned off half of our audience i don't know why it just feels wrong okay no i don't know anyway but rick yeah. and morty is very good um so you can find Star Trek episodes dedicated to the multiverse theory. 99.9% .9 of video games have some concept of multiverse theory incorporated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got like it, movies, Wizard of Oz, Donnie Darko, Full Metal Alchemist. They're all inundated with the possibility of multiple universes. Yeah. And so what do I think about it? Hmm. I think, I mean, it's a very fascinating topic. Like I don't. I guess I don't really care that much. The The most I think about it is like when I'm playing video games and my character dies 
I do that with everything. Like I was playing Uncharted and I do the same thing where they're like, Nathan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what if he really died right there? It sounds so sad. Or like we were playing The Last of Us 2 and I'm thinking like anytime Ellie dies and you guys, I suck at video games. Like I do, t I tell people I'm a prodigy. I, yeah, I was going to say you're very, very humble on this podcast. Real life, not so much. So, but the truth is between you and me, all y'all and me, I'm not very good. So I only play on like normal and I just die all the time because normal is very, is way harder than easy. I don't know if you play video games, but it's really hard sometimes. And I die a lot. And I really actually think every time for, I give like three and a half seconds where I'm like, what if this was the, and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's about as far as it goes for me. I don't think about like, oh, in another life, another universe, maybe me as a person is doing this other job that I thought about maybe doing at some point. I don't know. I guess that kind of pops up in my brain. But in terms of like the science and math of it, I don't think about science or math that much. Yeah. I was more of like geology was my jam. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Why do you like it so much that you wanted me to look it up? Um, I don't know. I just think it's like really, really fascinating to think about infinity and like in the infinite possibilities which i i think also for me is maybe like a to me it feels like maybe like a misconception of what multiverse theory is i think when people talk about like multiverse theory they're like oh infinite possibilities like your life can be infinite like maybe in a different life like you are a rich queen and but like, my consciousness only exists in this one yeah and so for, so first for me like the first step there is like it's not infinite in the sense that like anything is possible because same as you were talking about with the, I think it was a Swedish guy. You said like you roll a six sided dice and it creates six different universes. Well, those aren't infinite universes. Those are six universes because you can't roll a six sided die and get a seven. But each Just, time, but I also think like you can't roll a seven, but you could roll a six and everybody goes, uh, or you could roll a six and everyone goes, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So there's different things from there, but there's still like, there's still some constraints. And to me, yeah. that's like the most interesting thing about it is like, is something is, is infinity imply everything or is there some kind of limiting constraint? Because like, you or what's have... the period of time around the, the decision being made or like, you know, I think butterfly effect, like I should have looked more into that in a way because I'm I think that's really fascinating yeah. that I, that's the kind of time travel piece, which is like if you go back and you step on a leaf, is that going to completely change the future if you didn't step on it the first time or whatever? Yeah. And to me, yeah, those things like little events like that are wild. But I guess I also try and think of it like you know say you have john and john has a propensity for alcoholism in his family like that doesn't mean john's going to become an alcoholic but it also doesn't mean I, like there's a higher probability that he'll become an alcoholic later in life because of his genetics you know and because of past yeah. things so like in that sense like he has some constraints towards you know the probability universe and um i don't know if you're familiar with like how we think of like the electron cloud now but like one of the you mentioned schrodinger and some of the equations that came from that is like we have a hard time pinpointing exactly where an electron is an electron cloud we just know the probability that it's in this one area wow and i kind of think like that in the same way with like with like multiverse theory you know um i think it is uh i don't know if like I would say I believe in like lots of other universes like existing the way the observable one does. Mm -hmm. But I do think of it more like maybe in like a religious sense of like you have all these different possibilities that are kind of going around almost like the matrix, you know, like everything can happen all at the same bing, time. Bing, 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 but 
things kind of converge, you know, and like, so in my life, you know, maybe, uh, in another, there's like a high probability that like I died when I was 23 because of like a boating accident. Cause like, I like boats or something like that, you know, but I do think also, and this is like the nice tying together of like the physics and the religious is like, you know, a lot of religions, especially the Eastern ones, I think they talk about like the true death. And I think the true death is like when all of these infinite possibilities of your life actually do converge into like one mm-hmm. point you know because like yeah. as you get older like as you're 75 80, or like what if you die at the same point in every single universe yeah well exactly so like as you as you as you get older you know like there's only so many possibilities that are open like everything's like think of it almost like a this like bubble that as you're born it starts expanding kind of like maybe the the whole big bang theory as well yeah so it expands all these possibilities but eventually everything starts kind of curtailing back you know by its you know we in maybe everything collapses yeah like maybe in calculus yeah. you might call it like a forcing function everything's kind of forced back into like a i probably wouldn't call it that okay well but eventually like you know you come to a point where like you have the one true death where like there's no other possibilities that are open for your 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 being's timeline right yeah. and i think that to me like that's so fascinating and something that i think gets touched on sometimes in like especially like pop sci but i don't think there's a great marriage there between like the spiritual and the physics you know yeah because there's always such like a tension between the like religion and science out there you know which is too bad because I, I do think they each have things to tell us but they're so dug into like their dogma you know i think of like richard dawkins and how like annoying he is with like his atheism and science you know it's like he doesn't I've leave never any... heard of that person richard dawkins never heard of him oh well okay i'll i have no i can add to my list <laughs> no i mean i love that what a guy <laughs> so fascinating yeah Lifestyle. so I'll, I'll like i'll slash and the the ramble there but i don't know these are the kind of things i i used to have my old roommate pat in uh, a new college we used to have all these mostly very high conversations about <laughs> about physics and like you know multiverse stuff so i've always found it very fascinating in that sense um I never got deeper into some of that math now, but now that I know math better, maybe, you know, I should start looking into some of those books. Yeah. Maybe you should. I know. Maybe you should. Maybe I should. I will get back to you on that. Yeah. Well, Um, thank you. That was, um, the multiverse theory. Yes. I'm thanks for doing all that research. I'm sure. Anytime. It was a headache. I learned at least six new words. Six new words. Do I remember any of them? No. Exo geodesic. What was it? Uh, egotic. Egotic. I know. I want to look more into that word too, because like, or I only, like, di- I only e- at the ego de- dick. Don't. Okay, so we're gonna move on. Now. So, <laughs> so what I was tasked with was watching *Wuthering Heights*, the nineteen thirty nine, <laughs> not the Ralph Fiennes one or the Rafe Fines. R- Wait, what's how's he? You say his first name? His name is Rafe. Rafe. I'm thirty three. How did I not know that? Well, it's like a is it, non-American is it Scottish, Welsh Gaelic. I think he's like Austrian or something. It's also. not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not that makes more an, he's not uh, British. Oh, boy. I didn't know Rafe that. Fiennes? Okay. Well, not Rafe Fines, and also not the Tom Hardy PBS Narf. special. <laughs> like 2009 before Yucky. he was a star. I know. He doesn't like I saw the, the title screen for it. Doesn't even come close to looking. I don't know. He's got this awful yeah. like wig thing. Okay. Anyway. Ugh. So I, we watched. I watched the 1939 Weathering Heights um y'all this is, is my number okay. one extreme favorite right. movie um i don't want to cut in here real fast and then we'll let you have it um it's my favorite movie and my mom and i used to watch it on rainy days in maryland when i was little so i lived in maryland for a while 
And even when I was like two years old, three years old, and it would be pouring rain outside and sh- and I would be so excited because it meant we were watching Wuthering Heights that day. So this is my ultimate extreme number one first favorite movie of all time. I was really worried when she told me that because I was like, <laughs> oh, great, we're going to watch this because she did want to watch it with me as soon as I started putting it on. I was like, Ugh. I tried not to. I really wanted to watch it. I really wanted you to watch it without me, no, but I I'm, couldn't stop. I'm glad we did. Um, I am. So, okay, let's do like a quick synopsis summary. Uh, Wuthering Heights is based on the novel by Emily Bronte. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Bronte? Probably. It's always got the, the double dots over and I always... Bronte? Bronte? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, oh, sorry. The, yeah, it's the E that's got the double uh, dots. Um, it was published in 1847 under the pseudonym Ellis Bell. Isn't uh, that a good name? Yeah, that I, I is. Ellis Bell Watkins. It's, also, it's fascinating to me that, mm-hmm. that she had a published under a pseudonym. I, I didn't go too deep in the research, but like she has two sisters who are both also novelists. And I don't know if they ever had a published under pseudonyms either. But. Yeah, I don't know that. I didn't even know about the Ellis Bell thing until I happened to look it up recently. But also imagine just like their house, you know, just like the, the just three right, sisters and everybody just, just like sitting writing. in a room. Like, oh, Charlotte, uh, I think <laughs> you're a little it's a little pedantic, your poetry. <laughs> uh. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, romances for dweebs. <laughs> you're like, shut up, sister. Um it also Ellis Bell. I wonder how much of that has to do with like being a woman, or or if she was trying to uh, disassociate from her from the other Bronte sisters. Could be, yeah. Good, good point. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, so it takes place in the West Yorkshire Moors, Yorkshire, Yorkshire, Yorkshire. God, I know. Um, it uh, involves two families, the Earnshaws and the Lintons, and their turbulent relationships. You can say that With again. With Earnshaw's adopted son, Heathcliff. That's straight from the Wikipedia. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the So the, the the main difference between the novel and the movie is the novel uh, has two major parts. And the second part re- revolves around the relationships with their children. And in the movie, ain't no children around. Which is fascinating. Because I remember like thinking like in the movies, like, man, they, these people have married for how long in like Victoria era England or whatever? It's like, and they ain't got no kids? Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, well. But that explains it. Um, so in the movie, it won the 1939 New York Film Critics Circle Award. Uh, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Also for Best Soundtrack, yeah. which we will talk about later. Yeah. Um, and also apparently like 1939 was considered one of the like the heaviest hitting years for the Academy Awards because there were so many huge movies. It was out. pretty good. And Gone that's when the they, yeah, that's when they used to put out like 25 nominations for it. It was just like anything y'all yeah. want to nominate, put it on the list. Wizard of Oz was that year too? Yeah. Which actually won the best soundtrack. And and the fun fact with, uh, with Gone with the Wind is that it starred um, Laurence Olivier's fiance who he wanted to star in his movie when they said, we don't know this one. We're not going to put her in this kind of movie. And then she went on to do Gone with the Wind the same year. So yeah. Yeah. Boom. I that know, would I be who, Chris? I don't, I don't Vivian really know. Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so with interesting uh, sidebar with all that is that there was a lot of tension in making this movie amongst the cast. One, Laurence Olivier and Merle Oberon. Oberon or Oberon? Oberon. Oberon. Uh, they one didn't like each other they also both had significant others that they were leaving behind um back in england while they went to go film this movie and they were just kind of like tense already and upset about it and they just like despised each other uh there was one like popular quote that came around where they were filming a scene on the balcony it was a romantic scene and Lawrence olivier accidentally like spit on her 
while he was trying to deliver his lines. And she screamed, she screamed at him and screamed at the director, said, why, you know, tell him to stop spitting at me. And he said, what's a little spit for Christ's sake between actors, you bloody little idiot. How dare you speak to me? <laughs> so it's amazing that they had such a successful movie that really captured the romance. But there's oof. so much hate in this movie and so much anger. There it is. like, oh, I think that's perfect. I don't think you could have done this movie with two people who loved each other or were like, inc- I mean, there's so, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was less of a hindrance than would be in other films mm-hmm. for All this right. particular film uh so plot summary so um this dude shows up at the Earnshaw's house and was like hey i'm your new i rent from you or you know one of the they, they have all those words tenant. tenants yeah i not that word but you know whatever he is renting no, he out he's a tenant uh some of something on their property and he's like i got caught in the rain and like blah 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 and they tried to put him in this room and like you know so wait it's let, very me, let me just clarify for everyone okay. he is renting a house called the grange the grange and heathcliff is and his people are still living at wuthering heights house names are very important okay yes true we we come from a land where we don't really have house names anymore yeah except for okay i'm not okay uh so so he's just like you know like oh it's pouring out like you have to put me up and uh you meet heathcliff and he's just like it's the whole mood is like somber like he shows up and like he's by the fire pit and he's just like leaning over it all dark and gloomy and like everyone's just sitting there and it just looks depressing and he's just like i don't like people but like all right we'll have to put you up somewhere so they put him in this room and they're just like you know don't put the don't go to the window don't look out there blah blah and then the guy goes to the window and looks at it and he hears a voice crying um i originally had put on cliff it's me or kathy well she says she says let me in I was in. singing the Kate Bush song called no. Wuthering Heights. And uh, I originally, I had originally put on the Ray Fiennes one and got through that part. And then that one, it's like, there's like a ghost at the window. And she's like, let me in. No. And I was like, and Katie came in and she said, no, not this one. You have to watch the 1939 one. I was like, is this about vampires? Like, what was that? <laughs> is this like a zombie movie? Yeah, I didn't know. And I feel like I remember hearing something about like a Bronte novel being adapted with zombies or something like that so i thought maybe that's I was, pride and prejudice and zombies yes okay that's yeah so i was like well maybe it was just that's this. not a bronte but whatever okay <laughs> um so uh heathcliff freaks out and he's like he's like oh my god you know kathy kathy and like he runs out into the storm screaming and then ellen the uh, what did they call her? um i like, would just servant? call her like a maid servant yeah maid servant okay uh, she's like, "Well, let me tell you a story," and then we proceed for an hour, forty-five minute movie of the story. Back then, it's not like you, the guy wasn't going to be on his phone or something like that. He's like, "Yeah, sure, I got nothing else to do. Yep. Tell me the story." And also, that would be a pretty shocking evening. Yeah, for you sure. come in expecting to like settle into your new home. It's yeah. a horrible. Like, hey, what's up? I live here now. I just want to meet my. And he's landlord. like, "I'm lost. I can't figure out how to get there. Can you send like a stable boy with me to go find my house?" Yeah. And Heathcliff is like, "No, we can't." He's like, "Yeah, I hate everyone. You suck. Get out of my house." Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> he's "You like, can I'm sleep here." What do you? How dare you? <laughs> and man, when he takes the, he goes up to this room that no one that no one uses. He takes the sheet off the bed, and there is like dust just so coming off dust. it. It's gross. Yeah, so like, clearly hasn't been used like, in. I, years. And the cameras back then were which terrible. i think they're the implying that that, that, that is and i think you can i think we remember from later in the film that that is kathy's room that just no one has slept in for yeah. 30 years they didn't, yeah they didn't really show a lot of the other rooms during yeah. the play but um the play i'm so, uh, sorry the the movie you know how i am with words i know not good arts words <laughs> <laughs> um so flashback to uh kathy's father coming home from liverpool and she's he's brought with him this boy who is uh a gypsy 
uh, street urchin, you know, just ragged. And he's just like, I'm rescuing this kid. And like, you know, going to bring him into the home. Like, this is, this is your new family. And Hey everyone, this is your new brother. Uh, and the, uh, older brother Henley is just immediately like, who is this? I'm not sharing anything with this, you know, the street Trash urchin. person. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's extremely spoiled brat. Ugh. And you know his father's even just like like the the most important thing I can teach you in life is to like share what you have. Oh, I know what a good dad. I know, and clearly that never got transported or trans you know yeah transplanted onto him on Hindley. Yeah, I always thought as a kid thought it was Henry, but then when I read the book when I was like, I, 16, and that's why I was making that blazing Saddles quote like it's Hindley because no, everyone called him a different. I know Hindley Hindley H I N D L E Y yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the kids grow up together, uh, Kathy and Heathcliff become very close, very quickly, wink, 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 you know, uh, Henley just hates him. And there's like this whole scene with him throwing a rock at his head and like trying to steal his, his horse. And he's just like, I'll pay you back no matter how long it takes. And, you know, revenge served cold kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and then unfortunately the father gets very sick and dies. And then Henley's like, I'm the man of the house now and fuck you. You're going to go sleep in stables and you're my stable boy now. And like, that's it. And it's just like, it's really shitty. Yeah. Super shitty. Uh, and so time kind of passes by and, and Heathcliff is just the stable boy for this family. And like Henley turns into this huge alcoholic and he's just, he runs like a crappy household. Just Tyrion Lannistering that wine. Yeah. Oh man. It yeah. It's like throat. when he, when he introduced him as like an older, as an adult, he's like, bring me a bottle. And the servant's like, third Joseph, bottle. Joseph's like, it's your third bottle, sir. It's like, I was like, damn. Three? I know. Bottles of and wine. then he gets, he's like, go get my horse. It's like, you're going to ride after that. I know. God, I guess back then you have to worry about car crashes as much or something, but yeah, boy. Horse crashes must be worse, though. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, so Q, Henley leaving, and, you know, so you, you come to find out, like, Kathy and, and Heathcliff are madly in love, and blah, 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 and she is like, you're going to become this great, noble person, and he's just like, I'm just a stable boy, but I love you, and et cetera, et cetera. And then, like, they sneak into this uh, yard to, like, watch, like, the ball at this, like, very, at the Linton's house. At the Grange. At the Oh, that's the Grange. That's the Grange. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, and they get attacked by guard dogs and then like Kathy, they take her in to like heal her and they're like, get the stable way out. And he puts a pox in their household and he's like, how dare you? Like, I'm tired of being treated like a, like a nothing. Um, and Kathy kind of falls in love with the, the lifestyle, the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And, but like, how long was she there? Like a week? No, it would probably have been. I swore I heard someone weeks. say a week. And I was like, that that's like, but no, she shows I, back up and she's like, I mean, oh. she basically, they, you, it implies that she like broke her ankle because the dog's ripped her ankle to shreds yeah, those dogs really went at them so yeah yeah so she hurt her ankle and she's there longer than she needed to be because she would have had to heal and then she was like dancing and having fun every night so mm-hmm. she was there probably an extended period of time yeah um so she falls in love with lifestyle she comes back to the the household and uh lo and behold Heathcliff had also shown back up he had run away for a little bit and uh she has this like weird tumultuous thing where she's like she sees Heathcliff and she's like, go wash yourself. You're dirty. And like, how dare you? Don't uh, make me ashamed of you. Don't make me ashamed of you. Yes. Breaks my heart. Uh, to, was it Edgar, right? Yeah. Edgar yeah, Linton. Yeah, she's with Edgar Linton who accompanies him. And she's trying to put face in front of him and then quickly is torn the other way. And she's like, how dare you? I hate you and your milky white skin. <laughs> oh, to Edgar. Because to he's Edgar. like, he's like, why do you have this stable boy having the run of your yeah. house? And she's like shut the fuck up it's very yeah it's like very classic stereotype of just like high nobility treating the poor you know like nothing yeah um but also Lawrence olivier is so handsome he is very mm. handsome 
Okay. Uh, especially after what happens later when she kind of she's for the next year couple of years i think she's just like torn back and forth a little bit and like basically like edgar starts to court her and like wants to marry her and then uh heathcliff has a hard time with it overhears her talking badly about him runs away misses him talking misses her kind of like coming back around and be like when oh, edgar but I love proposes him. to her yeah after Oof. edgar proposes and she's like blah 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 like i do love heathcliff and she says like i am heathcliff like no one will ever have my love and like it's just like very deep and that's when like the quintessential wedding quote comes up where she says, whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. Yes. Which is like, well, that's, you know, I, I am. <laughs> Maybe you didn't watch the a... rest of the movie, mm. possibly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so Heathcliff runs off. They get married. There's obviously a lot of Edgar and, Ed- Edgar and Kathy get married. Uh, there's obviously a lot of foreboding about how she's just like, I feel chill with you. But she's like trying to kind of play it off. She said she feels doom. Yeah, on their wedding day. On their wedding day. Bummer. That's a bad sign. And, like, Ellen shows up, the ha- the servant maid, uh, with dressed in all black. Like, she she knows. Yeah. She's like, this She's sucks. feeling it, too. Yeah, she knows what's up. Ooh. Um, and, like, a few years later, they're in their house, and um, there's a knock at the door. And, like, who shows back up? It's Heathcliff. Handsome-ass Heathcliff. Handsome-ass Heathcliff had run away to America, and they don't really tell you how, but like he has found a fortune and he has come back and he has bought Wuthering Heights from Hindley, who has gambled away all his money and is an alcoholic, broke, destitute man. He's like, I've come to take this back. And like, he's definitely like just doing the, like, he's like, he is staring at Catherine the entire time in their house. Edgar's right there. And Edgar was the one who's like, oh, just see him. Like, past is past. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you no, can smile yeah. at him and not feel bad. And Kathy's like, oh, thank you for your permission. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was weird. And then and then he shows up. It's like, oh, dude, you should not have let this guy in your house. You know, it's like he there's a big change. And like, wow, what an acting. What acting by them. You know, like yeah. you can just tell there's so much, so much in their well, eyes. That's what I'm talking about. Like knowing that Merle Oberon and Laurence Olivier hated each other. Mm-hmm. It's so palpable. Like he... Because if you think about personal and professional coming together, for them to look at each other like that is so heartbreaking because Mm -hmm. it's like so much hatred that she would have gone and married Edgar while he was gone, bettering himself like she asked him to. Yeah. And then he comes back and he finds her living this like beautiful, lavish lifestyle that she seems really happy in. But he knows inside that she has like given her life and her soul to him already. It's just devastating. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Uh, he's just, he kind of tells him what's up. He's like, I'm your neighbor now. You expect a lot of me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Edgar's younger sister, who's now of marrying age and hasn't really met any good men, she immediately is taking a fancy to him. Shows up at his house. Because he's a bad boy. He's got that dark hair. Yeah. Uh, shows up at Heathcliff's house next day at Wuthering Heights. And she's like, oh, my horse is lame. Blah, blah, blah. Can you help me? And he's like, sit down. I know why you're here. (laughs) You'll never have to be alone again because now you have me. And it's like, whoa, he really swung for the fences there. And it worked. Yeah. But truth is, he's doing this entire thing because he is so torn. And he is just like, I'm I'm getting Kathy back as much as I can and making her feel miserable. Yeah. I mean, he's all about revenge. He's all about revenge, which. It's a bummer. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very torn about how they treat characters, but we'll talk more about that. Um. So the rest of the movie, he basically is like trying to make her feel guilty, trying to get revenge. He marries uh, Isabella. Marries Isabella, Edgar's younger sister. Uh, and quickly, like, I think they flash forward a few years from that. And it's like. A few a, months. Uh, is it only a few months? I thought it was a few years. 
No. Okay. Well, Isabella is quickly just like, I mean, the idea is that like the, the Wuthering Heights household has a, has a just dark pox on it. And every, yeah. anyone who lives in it and exists on it is overcome by the darkness and hatred in there. And yeah. like her life is miserable. Her husband doesn't love her. He clearly, everyone knows that he's just using her to get back at. at and she knows at it, but she has this like glimmer of naive hope that he'll, he'll come back to her at, even though she never had him to begin with. And ugh, yeah, it's really it's sad. Like, She's like begging him to love her. It's like a little pathetic, but also like, I guess it, like it was different times, you know, like it's not like she could just run away and go marry somebody yeah, else. Yeah, you couldn't it's get like, a divorce. Yeah. It was actually one of my favorite quotes was, um, when Lawrence Olivier says to her, why are your eyes always empty like Linton's eyes? And uh, she responds, they're not empty. If you'd only look deeper, look at me. I'm pretty. I'm a woman and I love you. You're all of my life to me. Let me let let me be a single breath of it for you. Yeah, isn't that devastating? It was devastating. And it's like it's so sad that she's been pulled into this. I'm no fault for her own simply yeah. because she just was so say. drawn to him. Yeah. And like and naive. And, and I mean, Kathy did try to warn her. Yeah, but, but it's uh, like if you're 17 and you see this guy and you've been meeting all of these duds in your county, like Bridgerton yeah. style, it's like, I'm not going to marry this old fart over there because yeah. he would and she's be she's like, you're just connection. jealous of me. So they elope, yeah, which which then Edgar, her brother, disowns her for that. Yeah. and Even though he would welcome her back at any point. Which becomes a thing because uh, the doctor comes to check on Henley, who is like pretty much killing himself from alcohol drinking. And he is like... He's been forced to stay in this home because he has nothing yeah. as punishment for what he did with The Rock and for how he treated him, how he treated Heathcliff his entire life. So his life is miserable, too. This whole household is miserable. And then the doctor kind of like lets slip like, hey, Kathy's dying. She is Hours sick. away. It sounds like pneumonia, but he's like, she's she's dying because she wants to die. Yeah. And I think it's more like tuberculosis or something. Oh, OK. It was, I, yeah. I, OK. A, lu- a lung inflammation. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. also a will to die. Yeah, so she's just like my life's over. So, um, he kind of and it kind of lets slip to Heathcliff, and he's just like, no, oh my god, and like he runs and like finds her at her deathbed, like she has hours left to live, you know, and he both like has this like weird like like they kind of like finally like reconnect, and she's like I, I don't know, she's like you are my love, like I can't believe you're here, blah blah, uh, and he is both like first brought in by that, and then also is like you know like my tears are the ones that killed you and he's like this tortured and soul how dare and, you leave me and yeah he like he this lets is it all my fault yeah he's like both like like you're to blame but also i'm to blame this yeah. whole thing sucks like please basically like they go to look at the moors one more time where they and he has her in his arms and... yeah and he he holds her and then she just dies in his arms while oh. they're looking out at the moors goosebumps and, and it's wild like that look that she gets that really wild where oh. she opens her eyes and she's kind of like scrunching his shirt and like trying to hold on to him oh my god i i cried i mean the second he walks in the room i, do, I lose it yeah i can attest to, i was crying like a fucking that. baby <laughs> and i was really trying hard not to make sounds sobbing yeah. <laughs> because i was like <laughs> yeah so everyone is like praying and crying at her bedside and he basically heathcliff basically is just like in a furious rage just like never leave this world until i die like haunt me and torture me the rest of my life until i'm gone and that's kind of where we get to and that's where he says the other really famous line that it like haunts my dreams i cannot live without my life i cannot die without my soul it's so so sad oh (laughs) uh and then we get back to present day and he has um he has run out to the moors in that storm and ellen has finished telling her story and then the doctor, who is now old, he 
bursts in and he's like, I saw them. I saw them together. I saw him with a woman. I saw him with a woman. I, I chased him down and like, no, there's only one set of footprints. And like, he was just basically, he, he, he died. Froze. Yeah. Yes, but Ellen's like, no, he's not dead. Like, near Peniston fought, Crag. Near Peniston Crag. Their castle. And, uh, she's like, no, he's not dead. And he's like, they're finally living, you know, oh my which. God. And then I cried again. That is, that was not the director's choice. Oh. He, uh, the director hated that ending. Oh, of them walking off together, like, as ghostly figures to yeah. Penniston Craig. And yeah. it's, all, it's it's hard because, like, part of the haunting was involved with the children and, like, the yeah. inheritance and stuff like that. So it, it definitely reshaped things. But it it was uh, the studio who was just like, is like, no, this is, you know, I don't think people are going to like it unless we have some sort of, like, happy ending kind of for them, you know. It is However happy. dark. Yeah. It is happy, yeah. But, like, it's not supposed to be. But it's in, also in very books. dark because they're dead. So, like, I think it's perfect. I'm going to go with the studio on this one. Does Did it say, did you read what the director wanted to do? Um, I don't think it said what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, there's, like, obviously, it's like, so bittersweet. critics who talk about, like, how this changes the way you view the characters even and yada yada. Because it makes it a love story. And I actually don't think that Wuthering Heights is a love story. I think it's a revenge story. That's funny. Yeah. I was actually thinking during the movies, like, I thought I, I'd always thought of, like, Wuthering Heights was supposed to be a love story. And, like revenge story works i was also just thinking like a socioeconomic story like yeah take, like taking this poor kid who had nothing and be like here i'm kind of dangling listening. this carrot in front of him this yeah time. and then he just gets beat back down he like finds love and like that's why it's like it the movie seems to kind of shift the it's it's hard right because it's like where do we put agency in people and like sure heathcliff has agency not to ruin everyone's life but like his life was like torn apart in so yeah. many ways like he had no way to like grope with all of this you know grope uh that's cope not, cope <laughs> grope I, I just fix that in post-production well uh, um, okay yeah so, i don't know it's just like it's it's just one of those stories where i, I and yeah i mean the, he only has himself and then he has kathy but kathy's so vain and so like brought in by this rich world of dancing and pretty yeah. dresses and like fuck the costumes in this movie are so good yeah and those big big poofy dresses and i don't think that they're you know just my like dorky costume understanding is that it's not it doesn't make sense of for the time like it's anachronistic but um god they're beautiful yeah um so yeah i don't know i like my favorite stories are stories where there's no clear good or bad yeah you know? everyone this is this is like such like a a natural human drama you know like every everyone is pulled different ways everyone's tortured this and that and like while i detest the way she treated heathcliff when they were you know starting to when she was kind of like wanting her new life like that's also like that's natural like yeah she was raised to want these kind of things to be the bell of the ball to be a queen you know to be treated like that and like what was she going to do with him and also like heathcliff would have never gone to america and yeah. he would have never found that passion to 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 better his life like that you know like yeah if, if they had stayed together right like if she, with she him was, as a yeah, stable boy yeah she wasn't wrong like it's like you have so much in you but like he needed some sort of push over the edge to get him out of you know what he was used to which was yeah. destitute you know poverty you know being a stable boy not having anything by kicking him out like he went and like he found himself but like unfortunately that what that came with was a very very torn apart heart and soul and yeah he, and it, it's like the money doesn't buy happiness idea and 
I mean, clearly, like, Edgar's not, like, a bad person. He I know. Just, he's like, actually he's... probably the nicest, best person yeah. of the whole thing. But, but like, I, I, I think it's, like, we're, like, we're all colored by the stereotype. Like, rich people just don't have a lot of, like, personality and passion. And it's, yeah. Because like, that's, like, just... that's this whole thing is, like, he lacks soul and he's like, got empty eyes. And yeah. he's perfectly nice to Kathy and provides her with this beautiful life. And she does. She says at the end, when she's dying, she says, you're, you're very dear to me. You've always been dear to me. Yeah. And, but and, it's and not, he, like, and, the and he's soul just, like, dragging. He's, like, weeping at her bed while she's dead. And he never wants, is, like the hell is Heathcliff doing here yeah why like, is get out of my house this my is wife. my life you know yeah uh because he like he, part of him i think understands it and part of him understands at some point like deep down it's like she's not really mine but like I, I'm, I'm trying to do whatever i can to like make her happy because i do love her yeah like um, getting heather from yeah. oof uh, there was also oh and it's sad when he's talking to Isabella in that whole part where she's like love me let me be one breath and he just says why doesn't your hair smell like Heather oh, oh yeah that was a great brutal. line that was a great line all of it I also like the other line I wrote down that I loved a lot was um, I think this was when he, newly when he was coming when he was back from America and he was like cornering her I don't think it was in the same scene on the balcony but he's yeah he said, Kathy, if your heart were only stronger than your dull fear of God and the world, I would live silently contented in your shadow. But no, you must destroy us both with that weakness you call virtue. You must keep me tormented with that cruelty you think so pious. You've been smug and pleased with my vile love of you, haven't you? That was when she came to her to his house to oh, tell him not to marry yeah, Isabella. That's right. Exactly. She's wearing that beautiful fur. Mm. Yeah. And he like he you know, to him, like her love of this life is this like is is not her. She's not being true to herself and like he uses different words for it you know but like ultimately he's like he's like you're you're trying to be someone you're trying to be like this virtuous you know image that he's like yeah. i know that's not you but and like because you're trying to be that it's destroying us which is like a selfish thing to say to somebody but also like he's not wrong you know yeah like, obviously like she's pulled both ways and like he's just kind of speaking truth to to what she was to her essence yeah and it's interesting because there's another part where she is saying basically accepting edgar's proposal and she says, uh, you know, he or no, this is when he comes back to town and she's like, I don't want to see him. And Edgar's like, no, you should. And she's like, no, he kept me for so long from being who I am or who I want to be and kept me in this place of darkness and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's at the same time, it's like, nah, girl, like you're the real you is your essence. Your soul lives on Peniston Crag. It lives like in this castle that you built with him. And that's where your soul exists. And like in the end, when she's dying, she kind of remembers that and like accepts that that's really who she is and that she'll wait for him there. Yeah. <sighs> it kind of also like weirdly almost like ties back into like our conversation multiverse theory. Cause it's like, you oh, know, like when, 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 when Ellen is like, you know, like they're finally living their life. It's like, I think she says something like they're finally living like all their moments unlived where it's like they had this life they could have had and they yeah. never got to. And like now that they're both dead, their souls can now try and start living those moments together and i think especially like seeing a movie where they're trying to capture like 30 years or so of yeah. like all this you know like you get to see this deep childhood love grow and like get pulled apart and so i think the fault with like a lot of movies these days is like when they try and like drive like weird wedges and in, in human emotion like that like they don't do a very good job kind of situating it contextualizing right. it you know this it's like you can see why he's acting the way he is you see her torment and yeah it's really clear storytelling yeah it's awesome um i was so afraid for you to watch this because it means so much to me on just a personal level of like having these beautiful memories of watching this with my mom and how much we both love this movie mm -hmm. and how much i love the book and the story just because it's so dark and tragic but it does feel really human yeah and 
Yeah, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, this was definitely one of the best movies I've ever watched. And yeah. if you've never seen it and you're like open to watching like older movies, like it's black and white. It's black and white. It's very, very good. Um, and I like off- Lawrence Olivier is so good. And he's so good. Merle so and so, is yeah, so is Merle. And I, I think you know we whenever we watch movies like. I'm constantly annoyed with how they make movies these days. I'm yeah. not like like an old school film buff or stuff like that, because these movies like I am a product of my time and I just am drawn to them. But it's like cinematography and directing and like acting. It's like we, we pay these people like Exorbitant sometimes tens amounts. of millions of dollars for scenes where it's just like you know all all they do is just they have cameras on each person's face and like when they edit it they just like crop whatever they need. Yeah, make it look good. There's no scene like that scene when, um. Oh, when when Isabella has run away to go elope, yeah. Where they come in the house and Kathy, like it's the camera oh, starts in her face at the bottom of the stairs, on my face and now? you watch yeah. her like the tears start to well up and like the, the emotion that you know exactly what's happened without them having to say anything yeah. because they they are filming her just walking up these stairs and like the emotion on her face it tells you everything. As soon as you're like you're watching, you're like Isabella's gone, she's run away. You All have Kathy's to go do something. Are, you know, and like, Edgar's basically like, well, there's nothing I can do, so we just need to deal with them when they come back. And she's like, no, no, no. It's like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. And then she just like falls to his feet in yeah. a big clump it's, it's, of giant it's dress. It's so good. And like... This, and the this, part when they're at the... Da- in the in dance, the dance in the living he, room he's just staring at her and he's staring at her and she keeps Oof. looking at him and then they i mean just the unspoken his is... eyes are so intense oh. you know and like yeah and like her, her face like she's like seeing all the people at the ball and then seeing him and then like watching her eyes dart back between him and isabella yeah. and never showing him in that like it's like a 20 to 30 second cut yeah and like there's so much you can read from that and like i i cannot stand that we just have all these like movies these days i think they i mean they must do it because it's easy right like right one of um Lawrence olivier's main critiques okay in his in his memoir he said this guy taught me how to act because he was a theater actor um he wasn't a movie actor at that point right but he's like in the moment he's like i hated this guy because we would spend we would do 72 takes of a scene and he wouldn't tell me a word i would say what do you want me to do i've done it like this i've done it like that what do you want and and uh, I think his name is Wyler as a director. Mm-hmm. He would just say, I want it better, you know, because he wanted him to, he wanted to force him to figure out how to get all these emotions out you right. know, by really digging into himself. And there's, you know, these days it's like, all right, just, you know, these are what you're going to say. Like right now we're seeing so many film actors go to Broadway and I just think it's so much more successful when you see Broadway actors go to film. Yeah. Depending. I mean, I don't need to see like every musical I mean, ever even created. like our, you know, one of our favorite shows, Brooklyn Nine Nine, like the the chief of police or the mm-hmm. whatever you know, sergeant, whatever. Like he's he's clearly like got a background in theater because and yeah. like everything he does, the is gravitas so, is so much different, oh, it's right? So funny. And, and Lawrence so Olivier is wild. I mean, his story is incredible. He like, ugh, I would love to have you dig into him deeper. He was definitely known as a womanizer. He had a lot of issues. Fun other fun fact: Do you know that? Um, the woman who played Mrs. Wilson in the Dennis the Menace movie from 1993 was his wife, his last wife, like after Vivian Lee. He basically no, broke up that. with Vivian Lee and then married Joan Plowright. Mm. And that cracked me up. I don't remember why I was looking at that. I think it's because I watched Dennis the Menace recently and I was like, she, she looks so Joan familiar. <laughs> oh my God. She's she, so good in it. She is so good. But I was like, why? She looks familiar, but I can't think of who that is. And I looked it up and I was like, what? 
and they just ended up having like i mean she was his wife until he died yeah which is wild well to me. it's you know it's kind of funny honestly like, she's like I, total polar opposite of vivian lee yeah it's, it's funny to think about like movies these days that like we grew up on like say like a dennis the menace or like a grumpy old man like these like walter yeah. Matthau, jack like we know them from these movies yeah but they have a huge history of movies <laughs> well before we were ever born. Well, and I even like, think of later, like Robert Redford and stuff. It's like oh, you, yeah, you know yeah. him as an older actor. I know as a, I know him as an older actor, but then I think about his his youthful acting, and it's just buck wild. But yeah, mm-hmm. Laurence Olivier is like absolutely on my list of people I would have dinner with, alive or dead. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think he was a very nice guy necessarily. Just what a fucking career, man. Yeah. I mean, and so I, I, handsome. I can't get over it. But unbiased, I do think my grandfather looks a lot like him. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, all his movies are great. I mean, he plays Mr. Darcy. He plays mm-hmm. like he's he's got hit and Hamlet, Jesus, like all of these huge. Yeah. I mentioned to Katie before this. I was like, I've, I've heard that name so often in my life, but like not being a big movie fan from. You know, but then you see him and you're and like, like, oh, oh wow. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. why everyone knows his name. Mm hmm. Yeah, Ooh, um, I'm like hot and sweaty talking about this. <laughs> Oof. Well, maybe we should wrap it up a little bit. Uh, I had like one parting fun fact note I thought was funny. Oh, weirdly enough, like on like the um, on the Wikipedia page, it's like other cool things about it. Like the last thing is like in Australia, this movie's G-rated. Like, okay, why did you feel the need to include? I know. That? I mean, it's like it's like R because of like no, it says PG PG thirteen is like sex sexual stuff and, and, and drug, drug use, use and all that. But it's like, like come on, please. Um, I watched it when I was two years old, so I, I turned out fine. Yeah. So after after uh, Goldwyn bought the rights to this movie, because it was going to be made by someone else with different people, and it was like two years in production, and finally he was Oof. like, I'm selling this off. Uh, he was going to name it different things until like these all these like Emily Bronte fan clubs like wrote him. It's like, you need to be true to the story yeah. and like, keep the name. So the other titles reportedly considered by the Goldwyn sales office were Gypsy Love, Fun on the farm, and he died for her. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> hey, fun, fun on the, the farm. farm. What do you think? Going my that favorite, movie? my rainy Not day that. movie. Fun on the farm. Fun on the farm is exactly oh. what doesn't happen. Oh, what's that movie about? Oh, like t- revenge and everyone, everyone dies of broken hearts. It's terrible. <laughs> oh my god! Fun on the farm. I'm cracking up. But wait, we didn't talk about the music and how good the music oh, is. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, it's because I didn't really find a lot to really talk about. Well, we but... can just talk about it together. Oh, I did I forget to write his name down? I have a little blurb about it, but uh, it's Newman, Alfred Newman, Newman yes. Albert, Alfred. Uh, I think it's Alfred. I want to say it's Alfred. Um, he had won, I think, the year before for Ragtime, uh, the Ragtime Band movie yeah. that came out in, like nineteen thirty. Ragtime, yeah. Uh, he was nominated for this one. Um, he was like the go-to guy for I think Goldwyn. Like he started in, like nineteen thirty-one. Yeah, and he was just like, "You're my dude," because he would. Bring so much, like I think that there is like this maybe this general idea of like especially older movies there was just like it's just orchestral kind of yeah like, you know, like oh maybe make the drums a little bit harder here yeah but for this guy brought like, a lot of intensity to different characters and especially I was gonna movie. say because I was like correct me if I'm wrong but I think he's one of the first composers yeah. for film to assign themes to characters yeah and, like, and then Ka- intertwine was, like, them a little bit more like whimsical da, da, but like and like da, whenever da, you saw da, da, whenever you saw Heathcliff it was like tormented and dark and everything like that. And, yeah, he, he, it's, if, I mean, again, like 1939 was like a huge heavy year for all yeah. these awesome movies. And I think that's why they didn't win soundtrack. But I, I would, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me because watching it back as an adult, you hear that theme so many times throughout the movie used in different ways. So sometimes like, you know, you hear it a lot when they're kids, but it's like light and it's, it's just 
the same notes but used in so many different ways which I do think you see a lot in films now but man it just yeah it changes the the tone of everything but it's really the same song mm-hmm. amidst other I mean sometimes when I hear the music from the dance hall I lose my mind and they're like old orchestral songs whatever mm-hmm. but then um that theme like I love the fact that when they're having their balcony discussion after she's married Edgar and he's flirting with Isabella he brings her outside to get some moonlight and fresh air which always helps her she says um even the the song that's playing for the dancers turns into their theme and it's just like oh you guys but sometimes it's yeah dark and moody and sometimes it's light and fun and ugh, I just yeah. think it's I hear that like my mom used to sing that or hum that theme and like rub my face while I went to sleep mm-hmm. when I was a baby so I'll just always always connect that with my mom yeah that's really sweet thanks for thanks for sharing this very special and you know it's like this is kind of exactly why we did the podcast you know yeah. we've been we're engaged and like I have never watched this movie I may never I watch it in think... such a deep personal thing for you and like, yeah and this I don't think I could have ever that. convinced you to watch it without you grumbling and not that's not a thing uh, to be offensive to you but just uh, I, I know, know that it's not I know <laughs> but it's like it's not something that I because I mean you might roll your eyes because I do speak in hyperbole most of my life um and so I'm like this is my favorite movie and you're like yeah but you also said Dennis the Menace was your favorite movie and Jurassic yes. Park is also my favorite movie. and also but, I'm like to be fair it's like I'm like you know you ask me what what do I what movie do I want to watch it's like oh, I don't know like whatever buddy cop 1985 action hero movie I can watch sounds yeah. great <laughs> or like Marvel or Star Wars you or like said, all these yeah, things. Yeah, you say like Wuthering Heights. It's like, oh, isn't uh, that like, I'm not the, like, I'm not like a, oh, chick flick kind of guy like that. But like, it is like, oh, like an old mid 1800s. Oh, I guess it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like set in the early 1800s. Yeah. But, uh, like a love story. I don't know about that. But it was, it was such a, such a good movie. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I cry through it every time. I've I, That's the most I think I ever cry in a film. I have full on multiple tears coming down each eye. I, I've seen, this is the second time in our entire relationship I've seen Katie cry. That's not true. But Third? from film? First from film. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you for discussing all of that. I'm just thrilled. Mm-hmm. I'm totally going to plug in some uh, Wuthering Heights, Alfred Newman theme music underneath that. Copyright. Who gives Sweet. a fuck? Uh, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll Google it. Sorry. If, it's, if it sounds like an 8-bit so just know it's because in post-production we realize that's not a good idea <laughs> um okay so should we talk about what we're doing for next week yeah i'll go first because i think last week you went first and told me oh, right no no okay then you can go first okay i thought about this long and hard i didn't but i would like for you to tell me all about eclectic witchcraft yay <laughs> i don't like isn't the all... practice of eclectic witchcraft no not not e- not eclectic like the wait no it's a st- it's a style of witchcraft okay. it's like um you could be like, like a, you could be a green eclectic? witch or a hearth witch or a this witch or that witch oh, but eclectic yeah, you get is like, like you get like the different zoids yeah the one that i identify with the most yeah so you I get like a jaguar because you're the green or something i gotta go <laughs> what's mine's um, so I'm going to give you another hiatus on the music one. I'll come back. I know just cause I think that I'm if, so scared. if people aren't sold yet, I think that's going to immediately make them turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think I'll follow it up with one of my favorite movies. Okay. Um, which is the movie talking. No, sorry. It's true stories by David Byrne. Oh, nuts. Starring John Goodman from 1987. I do love John Goodman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's really good in this. One time, well, he's good in everything, but I, know. 
had wine next to David Byrne in New York. That's a good story. He was drinking red wine. If I think, I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy this movie. I think He's that maybe you'll find it kind of boring. You'll probably find it boring. But I think what's it called? True Stories. It's got like it's like overlaid with like a Talking head soundtrack. How about, how about instead I watch True Lies? <laughs> we can save that for down the road. But okay, I don't know. I th- it's 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 fun if you enjoy the music. I think and oh god. <sighs> <laughs> Here we go. Well, everyone. that's our show, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't say it, but I'm thinking it. Anything but that. Any, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us again this week. Yeah. Uh, I hope this wasn't too long. I thought we were going to do a short one, and lo and behold, so much for getting a snowman done. Today. I thought you were going to do a bullet <laughs> point summary, but you really you dug deep, brother. I don't. You know, I didn't write anything. That I like to just shoot from the hip. Clearly. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad because it does show me that you did actually watch the film. Yeah. Well, I think I touched my phone one time and you immediately shot me a dirty glance. So Yeah. Well, it is what it is. And you said, stop staring at our dog the entire time. I know. I did say that because I was like, you're missing all of these furtive glances that everyone has. And then once you did you watch, really you were like. You turn your eyes yeah. away from it. It's know? really good. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, everyone, I'm, I hope you enjoyed the multiverse theory and also the Wuthering <laughs> Heights, Heights film from 1939 <laughs> starring Merle Oberon and Laurence Olivier. And we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.